Well, this morning, as we take up the Word of God, I want you, to, your heart to burn within you as you hear the Word of God this morning. And why so? Because we are considering the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus explained how the Old Testament scriptures pointed to himself as our Redeemer, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? We don't know exactly what passages in the Old Testament that Jesus opened to those early disciples, but it is very likely that many of Jesus' texts would appear on this list that someone has faithfully collected for us. I don't intend you to be able to read all of these prophecies, but I want you to see what 365 prophecies look like on the screen. And I will bear testimony that as I've had opportunity over the last several years to dip into this list, I don't remember finding any of them that are, are strained and are inappropriate. Imagine, on the screen in front of you, there are 365 prophecies from the Old Testament that all find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is impressive to see it. But I want you to consider that it's very early on in uh, the Gospel of Matthew that Matthew directs attention uh, to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1 and verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Joseph, son of David, the angel speaking to him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But where is it that Matthew began his gospel? That's not until verse 18. And if you're to look, were to look in your copy of the scriptures, you would see where he begins in verse 1 is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so what Matthew was drawing attention to at the very beginning of his gospel is not only there is this amazing virgin birth, but there is this amazing truth that the Lord Jesus Christ and all the wonders associated with that birth is connected back to King David and is connected back further to even Abraham. And we find that there in Matthew's gospel, he's tracing the line of Jesus back through his supposed father, Joseph, his caregiving father, Joseph, and takes it back to David and to Abraham. Luke, on the other hand, traces back to Adam the line of the Lord Jesus Christ through Mary, his virgin conception mother. Well, as we take up our theme here this morning, we want to see Christ descended from Eve Christ descended from Adam. 
And what we find as we look on the screen is something of a, a genealogy that gives the, the detail. And if that does come up, oh, we're so close. Um, but if we think in terms of there's Eve at the top, and then think of something of a, of a smashed pyramid, and that represents all of the descendants that came from Mary, and out of all of those descendants, we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to descend from one, from Abraham. There we are, yellow at the top, Eve, and by the time we get down to Abraham, some estimate that at the time of the flood, there may have been a billion people on the earth. So out of roughly a billion or a lot, a lot of people, the Messiah is going to come from Abraham. And then if we go down a few generations, he's going to come uh, through Judah. And not Joseph, not the firstborn Reuben, but he's going to come through the Lord. Uh, the Lord Jesus is going to come through that son of Jacob called Judah. So here it is. Eve has all of these descendants, then the line narrows down to one. Then Abraham's got all these descendants and the line narrows down to Judah. It narrows again down to David and eventually to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want us to see as kind of a, a final slide here is to see the narrowing of the line of Messiah, that there there is this broad group that comes from Eve, only Abraham, all this group from Abraham, but only through Judah, only through David, and eventually to the Lord Jesus. But when we think of that narrowing of the line, we can think, well, the gospel of God is not for very many people. It's only to a few of us who've got... this broad message of the gospel. So now think of these as megaphones, a little megaphone there from the days of Abraham that says, all of the families of the earth will be blessed in my descendant. And then think of this larger megaphone that comes at the time of the Lord Jesus that says, that the gospel is to go to all nations, make disciples of all the nations. So there we have something of what I hope you can get of a narrow, narrow line of where the Messiah is actually coming and the amazing statistical probability that all of those uh, 365 promises would find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, with that, let's come to the handout sheet uh, here this morning. Roman number one, Christ descended from Eve, the special humanity of the victorious hero. First of all, A, the early gospel the early gospel of Genesis 3.15 points to the sovereignty of God's grace. God must act. 
God must introduce a conflict between Eve and the devil. The devil has come, he has tricked her, he has seduced her, and the devil and Eve have come into alignment. And then Adam joins that alliance. But God comes and he says, I'm going to break up that alliance. I am going to cause there to be a conflict between Eve and the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And there is this conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil down through the ages. We can see it starting there with Cain and with Abel. And we read in 1 John 3 and verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. The sovereignty of God. He's going to intrude. He's not going to save everyone, but he is going to save a great host. Secondly, B, this early gospel points to the incarnation of the Redeemer. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. This her seed is going to come to be an individual that is going to enter into conflict with the devil. So this seed of the woman is someone who is a human that descends from Eve. And we read in John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there is this Jesus that has come from the line of the woman. He is truly human, but he is more than human. The first Adam, the only Adam, the perfect human Adam, was no match for the devil. But this second Adam that comes is more than Adam because he is able to defeat the devil. So please see the importance of Jesus being truly human. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Jesus was born of the virgin. He was truly human so that he could die and deliver us from our sins. Notice thirdly, see, this early gospel points to the suffering of the Redeemer. The language there that the serpent will bruise the Redeemer's heel. It is as though Jesus is there in a garden and there is this serpent that attacks him and in the battle, he takes his open heel and crushes it down on the head of that serpent. But the fangs get into Jesus and he suffers as he takes on the devil. Jesus will crush 
the serpent's head, but he is going to do this in a way that great, brings great pain to him. And isn't this the message of Isaiah 53? Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In the garden, agonizing over becoming sin, and on the cross, our Lord felt the pangs of death. He was the just dying for the unjust, the sovereignty, the incarnation, the sufferings. Is there anything else that we can see in Genesis 3? Well, fourthly, D, this early gospel points to the spectacular victory of the Redeemer. He shall bruise your head. Yes, you'll get your teeth into the fleshy heel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that will not cause Jesus to pull away and to run in retreat. But rather, that heel is coming down and going to smash your head in a spectacular defeat. God's Savior is a man, but he is more than a man. He has the ability to take on the devil and to inflict a horrible death on him. And this is why when we come from Genesis over to Luke's gospel, we hear things like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The devil's defeated. What we find at the end of time, Revelation 20 and verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. When you think of all that the devil is able to accomplish in this world, and yet Jesus, because of his victory on the cross, is able, as it were, to take him by the back of his neck and just toss him into a place of eternal torment. At the end of time, you will want to be on the right side. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Align with him who is going to win his ultimate victory on that final day. Roman numeral two, having seen that Jesus will come from Eve, notice with me that he descends as well from Abraham. And here we're looking at the universal blessing from a very limited Jewish line. Think of the extreme narrowness of the line of Christ. All these that come from Eve, and yet it narrows down to Abraham. It is from the line of Isaac, not Ishmael. From the line of Jacob, and not Esau. The Lord Jesus Christ has descended from the line of Abraham, and then eventually to Judah. There is this narrowing of the line of Messiah's person. But we cannot for a moment think that there is a narrow gospel invitation. No. Secondly, B, consider with me the universal breadth of the Abrahamic blessing. 
In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Salvation blessing is going out. So Psalm 72 can say to us, may he have dominion from the sea to the sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And they're used to hearing about from the river to the sea or from this river down here up to the Tigris River. But this promise is from the river out to the ends of the earth. Psalm 96 and verse 7. O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. To the New Testament, we can fast forward and hear Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back. And then verse 24 And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. What days? The days of Jesus Christ. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God is making this absolute connection between Jesus Christ and the promise that he gave to Abraham of blessings to the ends of the earth. Here we see God's sovereign ability. All these people alive, and yet it's going to be through Abraham and on down through his line. This very Jewish Messiah with Abrahamic DNA is going to have that great megaphone that goes out to the ends of the earth so that Paul can preach to Gentiles that God has promised, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul can preach with his megaphone. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Let us think of our friends who labor in China and in Pakistan and in India and Morocco and Oman. And why do they go to such desolate and difficult places for the gospel? Well, it's because God said, all of the families of the earth, from Eve, from Abraham, But thirdly, Jesus Christ also descended from Judah. And here we consider the preeminent universal reign. What was the promise? There in Genesis 49 is a promise of preeminence of Judah. Judah's preeminence. Genesis 49.8, we read it. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. And isn't that striking? Judah is not the firstborn. Reuben is the one who gets to wear the pin, firstborn of the family. But even if we think of the situation there in Egypt that recently happened, it has been fulfilled that that dream of Joseph, that all of your sheaves are bowing down to my sheaf, We're not expecting a preeminence in Judah. We would think Reuben 
Or maybe Joseph, but here the promise at Jacob's death is that there will be praise that comes from his brothers. Leah, when she had Judah, said, may God be praised. That's the name. Now Jacob gives it the meaning, the meaning Judah will be praised by his brothers. The praise of his brothers, his victory over his enemies, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, his homage from his brothers, your brothers shall praise you. Judah's preeminence. That's fulfilled in Jesus. Secondly, B, Judah's lion-like nature. Here in Genesis 49 and verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. It speaks of his youth. It speaks of his vigor. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. His success in battle. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. His powerful peace. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. Who shall rouse him? There is peace that comes from him. And this is picked up all the way over in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, we'll hear of it this evening. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals And yet it's not Jesus in the raw power of a lion, but it is the power of the lion and the sacrificial abilities of the lamb that impart such power to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the lion of the tribe of Judah in the person of Jesus Christ is successful in defeating the devil in the battle for man. And he does so as a sacrificial lamb at the cross. So uh, Judah's preeminence, Judah's lion-like nature, and now Judah's universal reign, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor rulers, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. How can this happen? Yes, there are going to be a lot of Davidic kings that rule over Israel, but it's not satisfied in any one of those physical and earthly rulers of David. Because the scepter, the power, the royal staff, they do not stay with them. They live, they influence, they rule, and they die. But it is only in this greater son of David that there is this fulfillment that he will rule. He will rule for all eternity. Revelation 19 and verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So here is Judah's descendant. 
He's got these emblems of that scepter and that staff of his rule. Notice the nature of his reign. Until Shiloh comes or until tribute comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Shiloh is one who gives rest and peace and Jesus is the prince of peace. The extent of his reign and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. Were there, was there any king in the line of David that ruled universally? You see how this promise begs for something greater than a physical descendant only. It's only fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. There is peace that comes. He is the Prince of Peace. His rule extends from the river to the ends of the earth. And how does Jesus give peace? Well, you go to him with your sin. You ask him for his perfect righteousness. And through your faith in him, God gives you faith. God gives you peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now quickly, Roman numeral four. Christ descended not only from Eve, from Abraham, from Judah, but also from David. Here is another narrowing of the line. Of all of those physical descendants of Judah, the line narrows again now to Jesus Christ. We read 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 is going to, and verse 12 is going to speak of an eternal throne. And yet it's some kind of physical connection to David. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. He's got your DNA. And I will establish his kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, notice with me, first of all, this physical connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah who's coming is to have David's DNA and David's throne. First of all, A, the physical connection. The legal line of Joseph is found in Matthew 1 and verse 1, the very first verse of our New Covenant scriptures, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And when Paul picks up on how important this is, well, concerning the son, he was the son who was descended from David according to the flesh, the physical connection. We all know that, we get that. And now secondly, B, the ruling connection to David in Christ's exaltation. The angel speaks to Mary and before the babe is even born, here's what she hears. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus knew who he was. And as he spoke to his enemies, 
he is able to refer back to Psalm 110 and say, how is it that David in the spirit calls his descendant Lord? If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And Jesus was self-consciously aware that he's got David's DNA and he's got this responsibility to rule over the universe, including his great-great-great-great-grandfather, King David. He knew this. In Acts 3, I'm Acts chapter 2, concerning David we hear, again, this Psalm 110, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And you see what's going on in this sermon. Peter is pointing out to David, you know, King David, here's his greater son. And he is a son who is to rule over all of us, and he's going to end up ruling over his great-great-grandfather because he called him Lord. And we find in Revelation 22, the apostle John makes this connection, pointing to Jesus, pointing back to David. 22:16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So thirdly, see, what should be our response? Our response to the detailed fulfillment of biblical promise. There's someone who's going to come from Eve who is a true man and yet he seems to have superhuman power to destroy the devil. There is this one who is to come. And this is why Jesus, speaking to those disciples, on the road to Emmaus said, Oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. My hearer, You've got a Bible in your lap. You've got Bibles in your home. Believe what Moses says. Believe what the prophets say concerning Jesus. Jesus wants not only those disciples, but he wants you and me to embrace him from the heart and know that he is the one who has been, who has been appointed to work our Deliverance. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the superhuman hero that defeats the devil? Please believe it. And be on the right side. Jesus is the one who is the descendant of Abraham that is going to bring salvation to the ends 
of the earth. And where is Christianity today? Is Christianity confined to some small little group of humanity? No, it is just as God has said in his word. The gospel is going to break out to all of the families of the earth. Jesus wants you to believe that he is the one. He is the seed, the individual seed of Abraham that is going to bring wonderful blessing to the ends of the earth. Do you believe that Jesus descended from Judah? Do you believe that this descendant of Judah that is going to conquer as the great lion? Believe him and be on the right side of the victorious lamb who is also a lion. But then concerning David, do you embrace Jesus as the eternal king? Here's one that's going to have Abraham's or David's DNA. He's from David's body, his descendant. And he's going to be placed on a throne. David was told this. Mary was told this. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Oh, please hear all of these wonderfully fulfilled promises and be amazed. How can 365 promises, 365 prophecies that speak of one who is to come hundreds of years later, how can they all be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus? But they are. Bow before his word and say, Amen. I believe it. Come with the faith that these two disciples on the road to Emmaus have. They hear the word of God and they believe it. And then they come to realize that this one who has just been talking to them is the one who died on the cross for their sins, who's been laid in the tomb. And here is the answer to the empty tomb. The Lord is risen indeed. Amen. I believe it. Let's pray. Father, please take the truth of your holy word and impress it on our hearts. Father, thank you for condescending and giving to us all of these prophecies in the Old Testament concerning your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we've had the privilege to trace out just a few, just a few of these promises here this morning. And yet we see how suitable all of these promises are when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what he has done for us, dying in our behalf, being raised from the dead, coming again to establish his rule over all, his casting out of the devil. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to have the fangs of the serpent come into your heel. Thank you for not recoiling in the midst of your pain and your suffering, but thank you, Lord Jesus, for stomping down on the devil's head and winning this great victory for us. We pray, Lord, that you would have your truth to go forward in Holy Spirit power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.